This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. What was it? Nine years ago, uh, something very special happened in my life. And that was that on Father's Day, nine years ago, I had a little munchkin doodle uh, born named Avonlea Rose. Uh, so, Avi, I just want you to know that uh, you're the greatest Father's Day gift I have ever received. Okay. Um, fathers aren't much if we don't have the little kids, uh, so they're pretty precious. That's what makes Father's Day special. It's not being the father, it's having the kids. And... You know, when, you, when you're a father, you have a whole new appreciation of the father heart of God, too. You know how you can study something? You can know it. You can read all sorts of books about marriage. It's, it's not a book that makes you great at marriage. You can have the head knowledge. You realize you have to exercise it. Well, fatherhood is the same thing. In other words, you could know all it says in Scripture about fatherhood, but you have to exercise the grace of God that he gives you when you're a father. And you recognize something. You, you learn certain things that could never be understood without just being a father, about our father in heaven. This particular message, it's interesting that it's a Father's Day message. When I'm preparing a message, I never think about special occasions. When, it, when Christmas time, I do feel a pressure in Easter, okay? Those things, I do have a, a very clear sense of the particular celebration, but uh, man-made, uh, I mean, I know Christmas may be considered man-made, but the fact that Jesus was born as a baby was not man-made, okay? That's very divine. But Father's Day is a man-made celebration. I think it's a good one, and I, I like it. Mother's Day, it's a good one, but when I, I've had some of the funniest Mother's Day sermons uh, that it's just like, how does this encourage mothers? Well, just, the truth encourages. Uh, and so for a Father's Day, this is a very unique message, and I think very appropriate. Uh, it's, I have to hearken back. When I was standing in the back, I had a thought, and it was a memory, and I think it plays into today's message in a profound way. So I, I really do think it was the Holy Spirit even bringing up this memory. And some of you know this. If you've gone through our training, I actually bring up this one circumstance in my life. My dad, my dad's dad, uh, so my granddad, was not affectionate, and he was a very stern man. Uh, he was a God-fearing man. There's no doubt about it. He was, uh, he was quite the, the man of great character and integrity, but he was not affectionate towards his son, my dad. And so my dad made the vow to himself that with his kids, he was going to be affectionate. And so my dad, all growing up, every night when I was being put to bed, he would kiss me on the lips and he would say, I love you. And I thought that was normal. And when I turned, I was in the public school system. When I turned, I don't know, somewhere around 11, I'm guessing, I, I began to realize that what my dad did was not what my friends' dads did for them. And so I began to feel awkward about it. My dad came in one night, and he leaned down to kiss me, and I pushed him away. And I said, Daddy, don't do that. I don't like that. I don't, I don't want you doing that. And my dad... This is a very hard thing. You know, in, in hindsight, looking back, what that was for my dad to be pushed away. 
And I think that God is showing me, even in my life, that there's something that happened there that was more than what I've even thought. Because I, I've taught on fatherhood and, the, and how my dad and my, my relationship was restored even after I did that. Because it, it led to a certain series of events of my dad loving me in different ways, but not in the verbal and the shows of affection. And that was really hard for me. I had pushed it away. And I think that there's also something very real. Now, I know I come from the North American culture, okay, and I'm a guy. So signs of affection, shows of affection, like kissing another guy, not normal. I didn't grow up in a culture that does that. You go to other cultures, it's very normal to kiss a man on the cheek if you're a guy. And that's just sort of awkward. I, I remember hearing about, I think it's Tanzania, where the men will hold hands while walking down the street. And I don't, I, there's just something about that that is really hard for me. Okay, and so part of it is a cultural thing. But I think there's another dimension in me that when I pushed away that affection being shown me from my dad, in a sense, it's almost symbolic of some of what my life has been. It's like, hey, I want to get close, but not that close. And I want to say in front of all of you that it is my great desire to where I have pushed to pull and to say, actually, right here, right here. I know this is uncomfortable, but right here. And you'll understand how that plays into this message. It's, this will be a little awkward at times. <laughs> Preparing the guest room, a study in the purposeful affection of the body of Christ. I, I, t- I, I am so excited about this message, but I don't know if what's inside of me I can get out. If, if you've been a preacher, you understand what that's like. You know something and you've tasted and I'm, I have it. It's like hanging out inside of me. I have the aroma inside of me of this truth, but I'm not exactly sure how to get it to you. So we'll see how the Spirit of God works through this. It's a quote in the Bible. Prepare a guest room for me. Now, depending on if you know the tools of hermeneutics, that's how you study the Bible, that's how you approach the Bible. Is that a command? Is that what you're supposed to do? (laughs) That's Paul talking to a very specific individual named Philemon. And it plays into this message. Obviously, I named the entire message after it, so of course it does. But prepare a guest room for me. Okay. Oh, the depth of meaning in that is just so beautiful to me. Three important items in our story. So I'm going to get you uh, some raw materials. Just going to put them out on the table so you can understand this message. The splogon, the phileo, and the adelphos. Does that help? Now you guys know where I'm going with this message, right? The story in a nutshell. So I'm going to nutshell everything I'm going to teach you right here. When the phileo reaches the Adelphos, it reveals the splogon. Do you guys understand what I'm, I mean, I just, it's a dead giveaway of the entire message. I just like laid it out on the table. If you know me as a communicator, I like to hold things back and I like to slowly reveal them, but I just gave the whole thing away right there. Okay, maybe I can supply a little help. So what splogon is, now I'll go into this in a slightly deeper level. Some of you have heard me use the word before. I've, I've offered it as a wonderful name for a, a child. Uh, I know that uh, Laura and Jake just found out that uh, they have things happening. Is that new to, uh, is that, that, everyone knows that. Okay, good. Uh, Woo. Oh. Those of you that have been around know that I've, I've said things I shouldn't too, so whew, that was close. But here's a great name for a young, a young boy, okay? Splogon. Splogon Redding. 
Okay? Isn't that great? Its literal translation is the intestines, the bowels. I know, that's, that's not a term that we typically are going to refer to. However, Paul, for whatever reason, feels very comfortable using this term all throughout the New Testament. Awkward. But what it means is different to him than it often translates to us. It's not just a part of the body. You see, to the Hebrew, every part of the body is symbolic of the kingdom of heaven. So everything from a forehead to the heart to the mind to the mouth, everything. And this part of the body, this inner part that we understand as the intestines, the bowels, is the, most, the place of most intimate affection. And so this is, in a sense, the expression of the heart, which we typically, in our culture, will say heart, that means affection. But to the Jew, it's the splogon. Okay, it doesn't, the, they don't feel out of the, the uh, cardial area, but out of the bowels, the bowels of affection, the tenderest mercies is oftentimes how it's translated. But splogon, okay, that's why it's a great name, okay? I just want you guys to consider it. It's going to be a little awkward if you do announce that that's the name, but it's, it's a great name. The phileo, it's a holy kiss. It's something that, by definition, a tender expression of loving affection, a physical token of brotherly love, a symbol of friendship, an outward sign of deep, heartfelt kinship. In most cultures outside ours, a kiss isn't just sensual. In our culture, a kiss is sensual, and as a result, we're really messed up on this whole point of phileo. We don't understand that there is another use for a kiss historically, and it is an expression of deep affection. And so as a result, biblically speaking, it's a command that we are to give that outward expression of an inward affection to each other. I know, but we're North American, and that doesn't work very well here. The Adelphos, that simply means the brethren, those who come from the same womb. The word Delphos in the Greek means womb. That add that alpha in the beginning, and what you have is out of the womb. So it means the shared womb. So as a result, like my brother and I are Adelphos by natural birth. We both came from my mom, right? So we are brothers but we all come from the same spiritual womb the work of jesus christ on the cross and in that shed blood we are born anew and as a result we share the same birthplace the cross of jesus christ we are now brethren or adelphos so these three words are going to be very very important uh, in our message today so let's try this again the story in a nutshell When the phileo, the holy kiss, reaches the Adelphos, or the brethren, it reveals the splogon, the sincerest affections of God. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Well, how are they going to know that we have love for one another? How will they see it? Because if people are going to know that we have love for one another, what are the outward signs of that love? Because I could say that I love someone, but how do I prove it? Well, that's through action. Now, there's various ways that that can be done, but in the most simple sense, there is an outward symbol of that inward affection. And as awkward as it is, it's a phileo. It's a kiss. Not just any kiss. This isn't a sensual kiss of the world. This is the kiss of the brethren. This is the kiss of affection. Some of you are wondering what sort of church you showed up to today. (laughs) And above all things, have fervent love for one another. 
So now we have a lot of priority points in the body of Christ, a lot of them. Okay, there's churches that are like, sound doctrine is what we need back in the church. I'm not going to argue that. I think we do need sound doctrine back in the church. However, there's something greater that we need back. Some people will, you know, will have all sorts of things about morality or what day of the week we keep the Sabbath. There's all sorts of priorities in the, in the body. We need spiritual gifts to come back to the church, and if we don't, we die. All things could be accurate. You could be right and be wrong because there's something more right. And above all things, you know that's a big statement? And above all things, have fervent love for one another. That means that even greater than the correctness of our doctrine, eesh, that's hard, especially in a conservative church. Above all things, have fervent love for one another. I don't know if you've ever heard me say this. I'm a big fan of being correct with the Bible. Okay, So don't, don't think that I'm veering off of that. However, you could be correct with the Bible and live incorrectly. So you may not be a doctrinal heretic, but you could be a behavioral one. You could be all right with the scripture and not be loving. That doesn't make any sense. You could be right with the scripture and not have peace and joy. You could not have life. What's the good of having the truth if it doesn't animate itself in you and change you? That's the whole point of it. So above all, have love for one another. For love will cover a multitude of sins. So this kiss, our kiss is an outward evidence of an inward reality. Kiss is just sort of an awkward thing to discuss in places like this. And what's interesting is, I'm even known, Leslie and I are known for saving our kiss until we got married. You know, that's, that's our love story. It went around the world. It's like our book is one of the top-selling books on relationships ever. And one of the things about it is Leslie and I had shared kisses before with other people, and then suddenly God arrests our life, and we're focused on him, and we're like, how could we do this different? So we save a kiss. So here I am giving a message about a kiss, and we're like dishing them out everywhere. <laughs> But it's a different sort of kiss. And you guys need to recognize the different, there's a difference between a kiss between a man and his wife and a kiss that we're, we share in the body of Christ. We just don't know quite what that is. I remember the very first semester I was joking about the holy kiss and these girls came up and surrounded me. It was the next day after I'd shared about it and we'd laughed about it. And they said, uh, we all felt convicted that we need to give you a holy kiss. And I was like, oh. Uh, and then they all r- held out a little Hershey's kiss and it had holy written on it. Uh, those turkeys. So our kiss, the kiss, the holy kiss is an outward evidence of something. And this is how Christianity works. There's something that takes place in here by faith. We are changed in the inner life. And as a result, we express something on the outside. You know, that's what baptism is. When you are baptized in water, what you are saying is, I believed in Jesus Christ, and when he died, I died. When he was buried, I was buried. And when he rose again, I rose again. And so we symbolize that in water. But the water isn't what does it. The water is merely a confession, an outward statement of an inward reality. You know that communion is the same? You see, baptism is we are in Christ by faith, but communion is Christ is in us by faith. You see, there's two ends in Scripture. You being in Christ and then Christ by His Holy Spirit moving inside of us. Communion is that outward symbol. It's not 
bread and juice that actually is the whole thing of how you get Christ in you. It's faith. You ask the Father for the Holy Spirit and He's glad to give you the Holy Spirit. You get that by faith, not by juice and bread. And yet it's an outward symbol of the covenant relationship that we share with God Almighty. Well, how about this? The kiss of the church. Here's what's interesting. In the church of Jesus Christ, we practice baptism, even though it's been massively abused. We practice communion, even though it's been a massive abuse point in the scriptures. Even Paul said to the church at Corinth, it's like there's people that are sick among you. Some have even died because of this. And yet we still practice those first two. And yet the third one, get this, there is more of a command to kiss the church than there is for the first two. And yet we don't do it. You follow me? That's sort of the awkwardness that I'm laying on all of us. The kiss of the church, it's the outward show of the inward affection. So do you love each other? Well, I do. But God, <laughs> what? the Christ's love is real and active in and through us by faith. We know that we have passed from death to life. How do we know? How do we know, John? Because we love the brethren. We love the Adelphos. That's how we know. It's like an inner proof inside of us. I love these people, these very weird people. <laughs> you ever just thought about the gathering of the saints? I mean, we are an eclectic, odd mixture of people. You see, normally, humanly speaking, we gather around people that are like us, that share an affinity for the same things. And yet what binds us is that we share an affinity for the person of Jesus Christ. There's not a lot of similarity between us except for that, and we're called the body of Christ. We know that we have passed from death to life. Some of you are like, how do I know if I've passed from death to life? Because we love the Adelphos. He who does not love his brother abides in death. This is the signal of life inside of us, that we love each other. And now put on these glasses and it might make it clearer. So now we're going to help you out one more degree. So I'm going to go through the book of Philemon today. An entire book. We're going to go through an entire book of the Bible. Can you imagine that? And the splogon is Paul. The phileo, or the kiss, is Philemon. And the Adelphos is a character named Onesimus. So let's try this yet again. The story in a nutshell. When Philemon greets Onesimus with a holy kiss, the splogon of Paul, which comes from God, is revealed. You guys got this all figured out now? See, I've, I've really laid it out. I mean, I'm, I'm going at this message completely backwards. I've given the whole plot away, and now I'm going to support it. So the splogon, Paul. Paul in this letter is a very, very significant player, like what he represents. He's the amazing picture of God's affectionate leadership over us. This message from Paul is a pastoral letter. But who is the capital P pastor? See, pastor means shepherd. Who is the capital S shepherd? The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. So what you see is God's pastoral heart being expressed to a character named Philemon about another character named Onesimus. And he is going to express himself in such a profound way unto Philemon. I mean, the whole letter is called Philemon, but it could be the father's heart. I mean, that could be what it is. It's more the father's heart than it is about Philemon. But at the same time, that is, it makes sense that it's called Philemon. So the splog on Paul. 
So listen to what it says in Philippians. Paul talks about the splogon quite a bit. It's sort of like his favorite word. You, you get the, the hunch. For God is my record how greatly I long for you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. That's very awkward when you translate it word for word into the English language. Which is why we don't typically translate it word for word because we know that Paul means something. He doesn't just mean like his intestines. But he does because of what the intestines symbolize. We can say heart, like I have a big heart for you and that makes sense to us. But that's like saying I have strong bowels for you or I have tender bowels. I mean, to him that makes sense. To us it's a little awkward. So Paul longs for the church in Philippi with the tenderest of affections. He feels so deeply for them. So Philemon... The reason I'm adding in a Colossians is because Colossians is written by Paul to the church at Colossae, but Philemon's in Colossae. So Philemon, some people would say that the letter to the Colossians and the letter to Philemon were probably delivered at the same time. One specifically to the church global and the other one specifically to Philemon, even though it's still for the church to be edified with. And so the book of Colossians also is written to Philemon, if you want to say it that way. So Philemon is hearing this twice in Colossians, which is put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy. Guys, you need to have this tender affection towards the body as well. And then in specifically in Philemon, he says, for we have great joy and consolation in thy love, Philemon, because the bowels or the splogon of the saints are refreshed by thee. You've been practicing this, Philemon. I see it. You have given of that deep affection to the body. And he's appealing to that. So Onesimus is then referenced in regards to Splogon. And this is again in that letter to Philemon, which I'll go through in a greater depth. Whom I have sent again, Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon. Thou therefore receive him, that is my, that is my own bowels, my own Splogon. Paul is saying, this man is the animation of my affection. I care so deeply for him that when I send him to you, I'm sending my affections to you. Also, in Philemon 1.20, Yea, brother, let me have joy of thee in the Lord. Refresh my splogon in the Lord. And that's going to be the appeal of Paul. He's like, hey, I've given you my deepest affections. Treat it right. So, number two, the phileo. His name is Philemon. You know what his name means? The guy that kisses. That's what his name means. Isn't that the most awkward name to be given? It's imagine your mom is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make life easy for you. I'm going to name you the guy that kisses. I'm not sure what happened in Colossae, but they had probably, I don't know if it was, I, I think of it sort of like maybe it was effeminate. I'm not exactly sure. It's like the guy that kisses? Mr. Kissy Face is a perfectly fine translation for it. Okay? That's actually what it could mean. That, that would be our English phrase for it. But like Epaphras or Epaphras, however you want to pronounce his name, there's a lot of debate over how you pronounce his name. His name means lovely. It's like a guy, his name is lovely. It's sort of like beautiful. It's like, ah, mom, don't name me that. So this guy's the guy that kisses. They're both from Colossae. That's what I'm saying. I'm not sure what's going on in Colossae. So his name literally means the guy that kisses. Paul's even appealing to that. Hey, buddy, I see you cultivating this in your life. Now don't Go to your first behaviors as when, when you were living in your old man. 
but allow these new behaviors of the Spirit of God to work through you. You were named that for a reason, Philemon. Now use that, exercise it. Then they all wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. They all. They all fell on his neck and kissed him. How are we doing, guys? Okay, this is an expression of the body of Christ and in a form that most of us would say, we need to get back to the early church. You know the way they did it. All right? All right, there you go, guys. They all wept freely. That's, that's interesting. And fell on Paul's neck and kissed him. And by the way, the word phileo is like on steroids here. And I'll show you. I'll introduce you to the word that they use here and kissed him. It's not just like they gave him a little smackaroo on the cheek. This is something even beyond that. Salute one another with a holy phileo. It's a command. Greet ye one another with a holy phileo. It's a command. Greet one another with a holy phileo. It's a command. Greet one another with a phileo of love. Greet all the brethren with a holy phileo. Wow. You know that we do things in the body of Christ with far less record in Scripture. We do not forsake the gathering of believers. Why? Well, because he says not to. Yeah, it says that once in Scripture. How many times does it say greet one another with a holy phileo? Uh, a lot. Aussie awkwardness and Dan and the Russian kisses. Uh, so I was down in Australia with Leslie. We were uh, newly married. And I got done with a, uh, a Bible study. We had been sharing something. And I remember I... I got up. I remember the doorway was right here. I mean, this, like, I was so shocked that, you know, if you ever go through an extreme thing, it, it brands itself upon your memory and you remember it clearly? Yeah. Okay, so I get up and I'm walking like this. And I'm sort of halfway up. This, I, I want to say two girls both step up and sort of grab me and one kissed me here and the other one kissed me here. <laughs> okay. I came from a very sensual culture in America and there was no grid for this. And so I, remember I, I was just swimming. There's Leslie Sanders. I felt like saying, I am so sorry. <laughs> and yet there was so pure what they were doing, but I didn't have a grid for it. So it, it's in my memory. I still remember it. I remember walking down the hall in a little sort of a dizzied state. But this is a far better story. Dan and the Russian kisses. I, I enjoy this one. Uh, so Dan is visiting a Russian church. And so he comes in, and the women go off this way, and the men would go off this way. And there's just like the line of uh, men. He describes them as like elderly men. Uh, Vitaly, is that how he, he describes this story? Uh, okay, so elderly men. And they each take him, grab Dan McConaughey, and don't just kiss him on the cheek. They kiss him on the lips. <laughs> and then he went through this whole line getting kissed on the lips. Oh, I love that story. That is just great. I mean, because you have to know Dan to fully appreciate it, too. I mean, he's just... You know, he's not the kissy kind of guy, right? I love that. Uh, we should shock some people here. I could line up a whole line. It's like, hey, you're at the Church of Ellers. This is what we do. <laughs> Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, if you were to ponder that and allow the Spirit of God to drive this deeper, greet all the brethren, all those that come from the same womb. You know that that includes a lot more than are in this room? There's a lot of people out there that have different doctrinal persuasions than us that can really get under our skin at times. 
And they don't see things through the lens that we think they should. That's the whole point of what Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. Hey, guys, don't you realize that that's still your brother? You see, these are tension points in us, and it's not just those that we like to be around or are more similar to, but it's all those that are from the same womb, from the same birthplace. Ah, this is a hard enough message to apply in this room. I kissed uh, Bo Matzett this morning on the cheek, and I got a whole bunch of hair. He has his beard. So it was like my practice. I'm like, Bo, I need to practice something. So I kissed him on the cheek. He was like... A whole bunch of hair. So poor Shannon, what Shannon has to deal with, with all that hair. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a risk to kiss people on the cheek, especially us men. At least girls have nice soft skin, but this, this guy thing is, is really interesting. Who are these that we are to kiss? What does the Bible say? The Adelphos. So the Adelphos in this story is going to be Onesimus. The brethren... Now, what's interesting about what Onesimus represents is he represents one that has offended Philemon, which is extra interesting in the story to realize that he is, Paul is going to appeal to the fact that he is your brother in Christ. Now, that's all part of the story. That's what I'm building towards. And it's actually, it it raises the stakes in our story because it's one thing for us to learn to express affection to those that we easily have it for. But God is saying that you know that you have life within you because that you love the brethren. I could just say that you love all the brethren. (laughs) Not just the ones that are easy to love. So the brethren, the Adelphos, we could call them the twice born of the same spiritual womb. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and therefore have the same heavenly father and share an inextricable and undeniable kinship. Boy, we work hard to try and deny the kinship that we have with certain believers. It's like, I'm not like them. I'm not with them. And yet Jesus says, I'm with them. Ah, don't do that, Jesus. That messes up my whole thing. You see, this is hard. When you're attempting, conservatives were famous for one thing, and that is dividing. Because we are particular. And is it bad to be particular and to say, let's rightly divide the word of God? I don't think it's wrong to be particular and to be excellent with scripture. But, above all, in other words, it's not that we throw out any form of correction. There's a form of separation in the body that is necessary because it's loving. But it's a separation that is done out of love, not out of distaste. And so as a result, there are balancing elements to this in the body of Christ and in Scripture. But let us not lose the above all. This is the symbol of the body of Christ. It always has been. So this is quite a collection in 1 John. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the Adelphos, those that are born of the same womb. He who does not love the Adelphos abides in death. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we all also ought to lay down our lives for the Adelphos. But whoever has this world's goods and sees the Adelphos in need and shuts up his heart from them, how does the love of God abide in him? If someone says, I love God and hates the Adelphos, he is a liar. Oh, wow. John just says it. Have you ever noticed that certain books of the Bible, like Pauline books, books written by Paul, you can sort of say, well, it's confusing. He, he's, he's not easy to understand. So we excuse ourselves from some of his strong statements because, like, oh, it's debatable. John is not debatable. 
He speaks as if he's speaking to a child, and we all understand it. So what do you do with that? If someone says, I love God and hates the Adelphos, he is a liar. Whoa. For he who does not love the Adelphos whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love the Adelphos also. It's a command. And that's about as clear as you can get. I'm going to read it again. And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love the Adelphos also. The story of an ancient kissing church. Location, Colossae, which is in southwestern Turkey, or it was in southwestern Turkey. Characters, Paul, he's imprisoned, very likely in Ephesus. Again, those are, those are things that we have to, because it never says in the Bible that Paul was imprisoned in Ephesus, but because of certain things, you can infer that he very likely was, and that would make the most sense of even where he probably met Philemon. But Philemon seems to be from Colossae. And so Philemon hosts a house church, we'll say it that way, in Colossae. We don't know if it's the entire church of the Colossians, but we do know that he has a body that meets in his house. And Onesimus once was a slave of Philemon. Colossae is a very wealthy city, and slavery was a very normal thing. The the, uh, infrastructure of society was very uh, hierarchical. And therefore, slaves would have been at the bottom of the barrel. They would have been property, would have been very normal. And so Philemon, though he was a Christian, still had slaves. It was just part of their culture. And so God is indirectly, in and through this, making a statement on multiple issues, even social issues in this. But he once was a slave, but no more. So there's a lot of drama in this story because we don't know what Onesimus did. But very likely, according to the way Paul is writing... He didn't just escape and leave, which would have been, you know, basically uh, Philemon's property, just getting up and leaving. Uh, But it's possible that he left a parting shot, like stealing on his way out. And then he disappears, and Philemon will likely never see Onesimus again. But strangely, Onesimus, very likely in Ephesus, runs into a man named Paul. And Paul, who is also a friend of his previous uh, owner, Philemon, leads him to Christ. Now we have the drama. Because now you have a new believer named Onesimus who has done wrong to a believer named Philemon. So what does Paul do? And this is where you see the masterful pastor at work. The one that has such deep affections for both Onesimus and for Philemon and desires to see them one. He desires to see them work together. Onesimos, if you really want to say it, you know, like a Greek would. Onesimos. His name means, and Paul is going to have a play on words with this, one who is useful, one who is profitable to another, one who brings benefit and joy. And what's interesting is the way that Paul is going to describe Onesimus is he's going to say that's exactly what he's been to me. He has fulfilled his name. Once he came to Christ, he is useful to me. He is profitable to me. He has brought such joy to my life. Onesimus 1. I've always described it here. There's twos in the Bible. So you have the first and you have the second. You have the old man that lives in Adam that is under a just condemnation. Unless we are born again, 
and enter into Christ by faith and become a new creature in Christ, then we are still under the sentence of death and judgment. Onesimus, number one, the one that is still in Adam, the one that is functioning out of the flesh, the one that is still ruled by sin, one who robs from Philemon, steals joy from his family, and flees Colossae for his own benefit. Is he useful? Is he helpful? Is he a benefit? Did he bring joy to Philemon? No. I mean, it was a nightmare. And as a result, he's done the exact opposite of what his original purpose was. Same with us. Oftentimes, the body of Christ is built out of people that are not fully what they are intended by God to be. And they can create harm and havoc instead of being truly beneficial and useful in the body. They're not bringing joy to others. Onesimus number two, something changes in this man. One who is useful to Paul. That's actually how Paul describes him. Profits the family of God and returns to Colossae to benefit and bring joy to Philemon and the church. It's incredible. His life transforms and he truly fulfills his name. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. So Paul is actually utilizing a play on words with his name. He's saying he was unprofitable, but now he is truly Onesimus. Now he really is profitable. And look what he says in Philemon one twenty. Yes, brother, I want some benefit, which is actually the word that, come, that Onesimus comes from. I want some oninomy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He's appealing, saying, this is actually what I want. I want you to receive Onesimus the way I would, the way God does. And in so doing, you are going to bring me that benefit too. So Philemon, this is the book of Philemon. It's very short. So when I say that I'm going to teach you an entire book of the Bible, I know it's a little intimidating, especially when you see my notes. You're like, wow, this is a massive amount of notes. They go quick. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. To the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. So... Aphia is a female name. It's very likely his wife. And the reason you could say that is because he's going to refer to, even in the, uh, the language of the text, the fact that it's his house that is being referred to. So Aphia is likely his wife and Archippus his son. And to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you, in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in your love, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. That word for love is splogon. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you. It's actually one of the most profound pictures of how God works with us. He's God. He can command us. He could force us to do things. Instead, he appeals to us. Listen to this. Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains. In other words, he led him to Christ. He's a new creature in Christ, thanks to Paul's fatherhood in the faith who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me, I am sending him back. Simple statement. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart, 
whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. He's saying, this is my own splogon. This is literally the depths of my being. I love this man. But because I love you and I love him, instead of keeping him because he's helpful to me, and he actually wishes he could keep him, but because he loves Philemon and he desires the health in the body, he says, I'm going to send him back to you. I'm going to ask you, Philemon, to receive him. Now, I want you to hear this message not as if you're hearing some ancient story, but I want you to recognize that you are in many ways in this story, Philemon. And the Spirit of God, the pastor of pastors, wants to speak to you about the Onesimus in your life. And it's a very specific message that is given to Philemon about someone who has harmed him and his family, but has come to Christ and as a result is now being sent back by God into your life. So, but without your consent, I wanted to do nothing that your good deed might not be by compulsion. Paul is not going to force Philemon to receive Onesimus. He's not going to force it. It's not by compulsion. Love doesn't work that way. As it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I'm going to read that again because I want you to imagine this. Does Philemon have a just greed, uh, grievance against Onesimus? He does. And Onesimus is responsible for that. What Onesimus has done is wrong. And so he has harmed a fellow brother, if you want to say it that way. And look at what Paul's appeal is. Now remember, he's, the, he's a picture of the capital P pastor. He says, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, can you think of anyone in your life that has wronged you or owes you anything? Put that on my account, says the capital P pastor. Wow, that's sort of, put that on my account. Could you imagine Jesus saying that to you? Put that on my account. Now listen to Paul's logic. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand I will repay. Not to mention that you owe me even your own self besides. Now that was creative. Put it on my account. I'll pay it. By the way, you do owe me everything. Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. Refresh my splogon is actually the word used there. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. After all, your name is Mr. Kissy Face. <laughs> I've seen how you've loved the brethren in Colossae, Philemon. And I know that the Spirit of God is in you. I know that you'll respond to this, but I'm not going to force you to. I'm going to appeal to you to allow the Spirit of God to love this man who has harmed you. To love him the way that he must through you. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. See, what what I just stuck in there. Remember the title of this message? I know, it's just sort of an obscure line there. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. 
Epaphras, 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 depending on which way you want to pronounce it. My fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. A different lens on the same story. Paul, a picture of Christ. Philemon, you and me. Onesimus, that one person in the body that we have good reason to reject. We have our reasons. There's a real grievance there. The way they spoke to us, the way they handled that situation, the way that they lied to us, the way that they, you fill in the blank. So, how does the book of Philemon affect you? You see, you are the one that kisses. And if you don't, do you really have the life of God in you? You see, you do know that Jesus forgave everything on your account. He bore it all on that cross. He carried your debt to that tree. And now he's saying, you owe me your life. Would you forgive them as if it were me? I want you, when you think of them, to think of me. I'm sending you one that is the expression of my deepest affections. Will you receive him as you would me? I can ask you to prepare a guest room for me. Would you do the same for Onesimus? He'd prepare one for Paul. That's his whole argument. You can see him building that way. Because there's no evidence that Paul ever made it to Colossae. He says, prepare a guest room for me. You can see the indirect argument that Paul is doing. He's appealing based on the principles of love. You know how you'd treat me. How would you treat Jesus if Jesus came for a visit? You'd kill fatted calves. You'd take your best robe and put it over his shoulders. I mean, he gave everything for you. If he was coming for a visit, you'd make your house all nice and ready for him. And when you saw him in the distance, it's like, here he comes, here he comes. So when Onesimus comes, do that for him. That's the appeal of the gospel to us. But he doesn't deserve it. Either do you. And that's how I received you. You didn't deserve it either, but when I saw you afar off, coming from the pig slop, and you turned, started walking down my road, I ran to you. Would you do the same for Onesimus? Who is your Onesimus? I am sending him back You therefore receive him. That is my own heart whom I wish to keep with me. I want him with me, Paul says. But for your sake and his, that on, I wish to keep him with me that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But not without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. You see, there are people in your life, maybe even in this body, grievance is just, it's part of life. Toes get stepped on. Things even happen accidentally. I've, I've always said to my kids, you know, if you're walking down a hall and you accidentally step on someone or push them out of the way, they bump into something. You don't even know you did it. You were just swinging, putting your coat on or something. You're still responsible for what took place. And once you realize you did it, it's like, I, I am so sorry. It wasn't purposeful even. And a lot of things can happen in the body that aren't even intentional. 
But we, as the body, have a tendency to be too easily aggravated, too easily grieved over the behaviors of others. And as a result, there's breakdown of the love between all of us. Now there's also purposeful things that happen where you knew what you were doing when you gossiped about that person. You knew what you were doing when you spoke and you were convicted by it even when you did it, but you never made it right. And so as a result, there's a reasonable grievance that is there. Those things happen and they are very present tense in a body like this. So what are we supposed to do? Could it be that the way that God works, just as he did in Onesimus' life, is he arrests Onesimus' attentions, shows him Jesus Christ, Onesimus repents, and there is a readiness for reconciliation. You see, our job is to pursue reconciliation as far as it depends on us. We can't force people to reconcile with us. There could be people in the body of Christ that you can love but may not love you in return. That's actually not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to love them. Your responsibility is to forgive them. Your responsibility is to wash their feet even if they kick the pail over on you. I can't deal with your response. But if I'm Philemon, I can deal with my response towards Onesimus. If you then count me as a partner, a koinono, a koin, how does it, koinonos, one that is of intimate fellowship, receive him as you would me. What if Jesus is saying that to us? Could you imagine if we started looking at each other that way? Now, there's differences of opinion in this very room. We are a funny body, not because we don't come from a denominational slant. We start with the premise that Jesus Christ is what this is all about. What it says in the Bible, what it says in the Word of God in text is accurate. And it points to one singular thing, and that's the person of Jesus Christ and what he does on that cross. And we rally around that, but we rally with different emphases. And so as a result, we can trip over each other's emphases instead of gravitate to the center and say, hey guys, but we are all Adelphos. You see, we have to know first things first, and we have to know what is above all first. If it is above all that we have this attribute in our church, that we have sound doctrine, then I would agree. That is the above all, and that's what we pursue more than anything, even if we step on each other in the process, because that is the highest priority. If it is above all that we keep a certain day of the week for the Sabbath rest, hey, then I would say let's throw out everything else and make sure that happens. If it is above all that we function in spiritual gifts, then I would say stomp on everything else and get that. However, what if it is above all that we love one another? Well, I say we do whatever it takes to make sure that's the focus. It does not mean we throw out subsidiary truths. It just means we don't allow anything to crowd out the most important things. If you then count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. Imagine Jesus saying that to you. You say we have intimate fellowship. Well, then I want you to receive him the same way you would receive me. But if he has wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. I, you can say Jesus, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Introducing the guest room. 
I don't know how to describe this. This is what I've been working on this week. There's a part of my life that needs to open to the body. It's a guest room. We all have it. In the spiritual man, there's a guest room there. And we can either be hospitable with it and allow in those affections and make a space for each of the body, the Adelphos, in it. Say, you have a place in my life. And I love you there. I serve you out of that. I'll wash your feet out of that room. It's the guest room. It's the welcome room. And so I could just hear Jesus saying to me, prepare a guest room for me. Like, absolutely for you, anything, Jesus. And Onesimus can come and stay in it. Whoa, that was a little tricky there, Paul. Prepare a guest room for me, says Jesus. And you know that Onesimus, that one person that he can't deny. They believe in Jesus. They're, they're from the same womb. Yeah. Boy, they have no business being in my guest room. Or do they? You see, this is how we prove our Christianity, right here. That guest room. Do you have it locked to the Adelphos and just open to Jesus? You prove that you have new life because it unlocks and it opens. The Adelphos can come in and share in your life. You have your resources. You have your talents. You have your energies. You have love in that room. And you're willing to give it to the Adelphos. They could take advantage of me. Yeah, they can. You have time and that time is limited. How dare you see the Adelphos in need and not give your guest room to them? All the resource of that guest room. This is the signal of our life in Christ is that that guest room door is unlocked. It's open. It's fragrant with the love of Jesus and it is ready to have Onesimus come in. Even with his dirty, muddy boots and his problems and those aches and pains that come with bringing someone like that where there's memory in. If you then count me as a koinonos, a koinonos of intimate fellowship with you, Philemon, receive Onesimus as you would me. Prepare a guest room for me. And can he stay in it? Now, I, we don't have any historical account of how Philemon responded. However, the book still exists in the Bible, which means he didn't burn it up. Could you imagine getting a letter like that? You could crumple it up and say, no way. It still exists, which means he likely shared it with the body. And even historical account shows a character named Onesimus that worked closely with Philemon. And so, even though we don't have the biblical account of it, it seems to me that Paul was right. He knew how Philemon would respond. He just needed the appeal. I think God knows that we genuinely desire to have a guest room open to Onesimus. It's just hard. Because hurt is a very real thing in our lives, especially hurt within the body of Christ. And yet if you nurture that hurt and lock the door, it actually doesn't help. You may have been hurt by Onesimus. But actually, if you open the door and treat Onesimus as if he is, in fact, Christ, it's incredible how that will change your life. The phileo gospel. We can call it the gospel of the kiss. We were all philatos. You'll see the word phil in there, which is the concept of the kiss. So that means lovers of self, typically translated uh, in Scripture, but it's a kisser of oneself. Sort of like leaning into the mirror and kissing the mirror. That's the concept. It's a philatos. You kiss yourself. 
So we were all philatos. We're all philargia. Philargira. Lovers, kissers of money. Philodonos. Lovers, kissers of pleasure. And not philotheos. Lovers, kissers of God. But because of Jesus, we have been transformed. When we believe in Jesus Christ, he transforms us. He touches us in the very center of our affections and changes them. So that we genuinely, rightly, phileo. We become true phileotheos, lovers and kissers of God. And he changes each one of us into philadelphos, lovers, kissers of the adelphos. Philadelphia, the tender kisses of the church. So you've heard of the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. And yet, what that means, this is the church of Jesus Christ. We are Philadelphia. We are kissers of the Adelphos. Be kindly affectionate to one another huh, with brotherly love, with kisses for the Adelphos. In honor, giving preference to one another. Brotherly love is kissing the brethren. That's actually, if you want to break down what that word means. Yes, it's tender affection. You could show that in many ways. We really want to get grammatically accurate. Kissing the Adelphos. But concerning brotherly love, kissing the Adelphos, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. I think we have need. Maybe the church at Thessalonica didn't have need, but I think we need him to write us. Because I don't think we do get this. Let's brotherly love continue. Incorrigibly cheerful versus incorrigibly kissy. Incorrigibly cheerful, which is a message I am going to give during the, the basic semester, uh, so the students will hear this. But long and short, there is an aspect of our life which is not supposed to be robbed no matter what we go through. You could be put in prison, you could be hung on a cross, but you're still cheerful. You're still full of joy. The, the enemy cannot rob your joy. And the same thing is true with this kissy thing. That there's so many hurts and pains that you can go through, but we are supposed to be incorrigibly kissy. Which means no matter what they do to us, no matter how we are harmed in the body of Christ, we still have the guest room door open. We still give love. We still give tender expressions of affection. You see, you are not going to play the devil's game. The devil will say, close off, shut down, lock the door. That is the exact opposite of what the scriptures tell us. Let the kisses continue. Let it continue, guys. Twelve ways we can prepare a guest room for the brethren, based on the pattern of how he prepared a guest room for us. Number one, choose to become small and weak. Make others important, encourage, inspire, exhort, give words of life. You know that if all of us choose to be small and weak and we don't think highly of ourselves, you know that church functions great? You know when someone starts to be big and mighty in our midst, it's, it's harder? You see, if we choose to be small and weak or if you choose to be small and weak, you don't expect to be treated as big and large. You see, if you are willing to be small and weak and take the low position, then you're not offended when you're not given a big position. It's okay. It's easier to be kissy that way. Number two, choose to be overlooked, underappreciated, and rejected. It just actually makes functioning in the church of Jesus Christ a lot better. Then when you are accepted by the body, when you are loved by the body, hey, it's bonus. However, it's your job to open the guest room. You can't force someone else to open it for you. 
So as a result, you give the love of Jesus. You give out the life. You give out the kindness. You, meanwhile, expect that you'll be overlooked. You do know that Jesus was crucified, right? You know by who? The religious system. Pharisees, they were the conservatives of their day. They knew what the Bible said, and they missed Jesus, and they crucified him. And so it's very likely that you will be hurt by the system. However, the true Adelphos are different. Appreciate others. Make sure no one is forgotten. Make sure the hurting are healed, the overlooked are seen. Don't let a single person in the church go unloved and underappreciated. You see, if you are the one here that's not saying, I need to be loved, someone needs to reach out to me. Instead, you come into an environment like this. You say, how can I serve? How can I give? Someone needs a guest room today. How can I give mine to them? I know there's an anesthetist in here. God, lead me to them so that they can feel welcomed back in Colossae. Because you know how hard it would have been for anesthetist to return? Yeah, just imagine being anesthetist. You've harmed the body. So as a result, you're the, you need to be a Philemon to run to them. Wrap your arms around them. Kill the fatted calf and say, welcome home. I got a room set for you. Isn't that Paul's room? It's yours. It's yours. I take good care of, my, of those that come, come into town in the name of Paul. Choose to take a low place, even in humble circumstances, with humble people. Treat others as if they are royalty, as if their life is significant. Look past the ugliness of the down and out, the smell of the unshowered, the roughness of the socially ungroomed. This is how the body of Christ functions. We cannot be overly particular about how we give the love of Jesus. We have to give it where Jesus is giving it. And he just happens to have a, an affinity for people that are unshowered and sort of stinky. That's his business. It's his guest room, guys. Let him share it as he deems fit, not as we wish. Choose to forgive. Forgive others their mistakes, their failures, their weaknesses, no matter how grotesque, no matter how intentional. Let each and every hurt that comes your way be transferred instantly into fertilizer in your soul. If you get a pile of manure, you can choose to moan about the pile of manure or you can get your rototiller out and turn it into fertilizer. That's actually going to grow some nice stuff in your life. It's the same with Christianity. Choose to forgive. Choose to submit. Submit to those assigned to your spiritual care. Listen to them, honor them, respect them, and love them with your words and your thoughts. Pray for their weaknesses, but encourage their strengths. Lift up their hands in the battle for truth. If we did these things with our guest room, if we gave our life to those around us instead of just looking, hey, how come I'm not being met? How come my needs aren't exactly satisfied? I tell you what, we're the body of Christ. Choose to suffer. Receive suffering as a gift and don't complain about it. Don't let personal suffering turn you inward and rob the flow of love through you towards the body of Christ, but instead let suffering refine you, mature you, and teach you obedience. Let suffering grow you up and explain to you the love of God more perfectly. Seven, choose to be silent. In the moments when your words would hurt others, be silent. In the times when your words might slight or offend, remain quiet. In the seasons when your critique might diminish and divide the body of Christ, command your tongue into a place of loving stillness until God corrects and then releases you to speak the words that edify and sweeten the souls of the body. One of my principles in life is never send your first email draft. You know, have you ever had it where you have an emotional retaliation to something that comes in? It's like, excuse me, and you immediately begin to respond, whoa. No, usually that response is not the spirit. How many of us are turning immediately to Christ and saying, God, I want your mind on this matter. I want your love towards this person on this matter. And until you're ready to give Christ's words, don't write. Until you're ready to give Christ's words, don't speak. 
You're the body of Christ, which means what comes out of this needs to be exemplary. Choose to love. Choose to receive the nails. Choose to share all that you have. Choose to rejoice. Choose to allow the splog-on affection of Christ to flow without cap. In other words, you don't just give it and say, that's enough. Uh, They only deserve this much. If you only got what you deserved, you wouldn't be doing so hot. Jesus gives us far more than we deserve. And as a result, we should be the experts in understanding the extravagance of God's splog-on affection. And we need to give it to those around us, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus gave it to us and we can't keep it in. He gave us this guest room, not so that we could just keep it to ourselves and just have Jesus hang out with us, but so that we could give Jesus and his love and his kindness and his mercies and his affections to the world around us. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. Have you ever been offended? And nothing shall offend them. You see, we're easily offended. But what if we were to function as Christians? We can't be offended. You ever, let's say there's a, a dead, there's a grave, dead guy, you know, in there. I know this is sort of disgusting. But we dig him up. And sort of set him out in front of all us. I'm going to give you guys all an illustration. I kick him. Call him a few names. It's weird, but he's not offended. See, dead men don't get offended. I think we're too much alive. We're too much alive to self that when things happen, we have a response. But what if we lived with a deadness to our self-interest and we were only concerned about the interests of Christ? Catafileo. You notice the phileo in here. So you guys are becoming Greek scholars today. Cata, when you add that to it, is sort of like adding a steroid injection to the kiss. It means to kiss much. Kiss again and again. Kiss tenderly, to kiss earnestly. So you guys were uncomfortable with the kiss. But there's also something known as cataphileo. Remember when they all fell upon Paul and they cataphileoed him. Could you imagine all of them? Just like I picture this big mob hanging over. He's like just being obliterated with kisses. And he arose and came to his father. This is the prodigal son. It's a very, very important story when you think of Onesimus and Philemon. Philemon is the one given the heart of God to respond to Onesimus who's coming. Onesimus has harmed him. And yet Philemon now that he knows Onesimus is coming is staring out the window, fogging him up, longing for his return. He wants to express the love of the father to him. And he arose and came to his father. Onesimus is on the way, guys. But when he was still a great way off, Philemon saw him. His father saw him. You see, this is what the Father wants to do in and through us. And had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and cataphileoed. Just overwhelmed him and swarmed him with kisses. She stood at his feet behind him weeping and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and she cataphileoed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Jesus then says, you gave no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to cataphileo my feet since the time I came in. I don't want to be the one that Jesus has to turn to and say, hey guys, you have it all together. You're like the older son that's just hung out in the house the whole time. But do you realize the one that is a sinner, 
that returns seems to have a hold on the affections because she has had much affection given to her. You see, God runs to us when we get out of that pig slop. Are we willing to allow that same love to flow through us towards those that are getting out of the pig slop? Are you ready to be incorrigibly affectionate? And that means no matter what is happening, you're willing to dish out the kisses. No matter what they do to you, you're willing to dish out the kisses. Prepare a guest room for me. That's Jesus talking to you. Prepare a guest room for me. So I, I gave a, uh, a phileo to Bo. I gave a phileo to Walter. I'm not very good at this, okay? And so I just want to forewarn you guys that if I'm a little awkward, I remember the first time I hugged my brother. You know, I sought his forgiveness. I'd had so much pride in my life. The first time I hugged him, it was like peanut brittle hugging peanut brittle. You know, it was just, it was stiff. It was awkward. And I'm not, I don't want to intimidate anyone in here and say you have to be giving kisses. All I'm saying is I want to appropriate this in reality and not in theory. I want to be affectionate in the proper way towards the body of Christ. There are some good questions that you could ask. So what does this look like? I don't know, but I want more of that. I want more of that. And if that's how the Father greets me, I, I don't know what that means. I, I, I don't know if you could expect catafileo off, off, off the start, but, but I may shock some of you. It's like, whoa, dude, Eric just, he doesn't tickle anymore. Now he kisses. <laughs> I am a tickler for those of you that don't know. Just with the guys. I haven't been, it doesn't say greet the girls with a, a, a holy tickle. But uh, I do read in the text that it says, greet the guys with a holy tickle. I, I'm seeing that somewhere. But uh, guys, I just want you to know that my love is very deep for this body. This is a very real thing for me. And it's a father thing too. That's why I say I do think that this fits Father's Day in a beautiful way. I want to be expressing this first and foremost with my wife and kids. And not because I always feel it. You know when you're disciplining a kid, sometimes you don't really feel Affection, you have love, but it's not depth of affection. So you're, you're not as incorrigibly kissy. I've been thinking about that this week, and it's like, God, I want to be incorrigibly kissy with my kids. I want to be incorrigibly kissy with the body of Christ. I'm not sure what that looks like. I just am saying, I want to do it. Whether it's the Russian version, I, you know, some of you are like, no, it's not the Russian version. <laughs> However, let's just pray that God would give us wisdom and grace to love one another the way that we are commanded to. Father, we're a funny culture, but you love us. And you know that we have a tough time translating some of these things practically. But Lord, we desire to obey. We desire to do what you ask us to do, even though we don't know perfectly what that means. And I pray that you would apply your grace to this. Lord, teach us to love one another. Flow through us with your love. We want to be obedient to give the holy phileo in the way that you would define. Lord, we want to prepare a guest room for you. And in so doing, we want to allow you to warm us, to convict us, to use this guest room to express to the Adelphos 
your extraordinary love. Lord, above all, we desire this to be a priority in our life. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.